Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the World Class Waffle Podcast. This week we come to you for episode 17 of the podcast and things are going in the right direction for this podcast. If you saw our little teaser video on Tuesday, you will know that big things are happening here at the podcast. Um, We won't go into too many details, but I urge you to watch that little promo video um, to give you a sense of what's going to be happening over the next month or so because big things are in the pipelines. Um, We've got big plans for future weeks. Um, Mark your diaries for the 19th of April, which is when the big reveal does happen. Um, I've also got another promotional video to go out on that day, um, pretty much launching the big news that we have. Um, But for this week's episode... Um, We're just going to be focusing on one particular item of news, really. Um, You could kind of call it a special episode, but then again, you also couldn't. But this week, it's it's football-related again, but it's a thorny issue that's going on in the world of football right now, and it's the big struggles that non-league football is facing. And there's no other way to put it than it's messy, it's very, very messy. But let's dive straight into things as the World Class Waffle presents non-league football. And the main story in question really is the trouble the trouble that has been going on at Dover Athletic over the past two months, really. I mean, Dover haven't actually played a competitive league game since the back end of January due to COVID furloughing players and just all hells broke loose really at the Kent club. And it's, we don't like to see it in non-league football, which is the heart and soul of the English pyramid. Yeah, I think it's, I think obviously Dover the worst affected, but as we'll, as we'll touch as we go further into it today, uh, obviously the pandemic has, we've spoke a lot about, what effect it has on League One and League Two clubs. Obviously, the sort of rescue deals the Premier League have been doing, but I think the effect on the non-league clubs, obviously, in the National League and then obviously then lower down as well, I think that kind of goes under the radar a bit because they aren't, they don't have that much of a fan base behind them as some of the bigger clubs higher up do. But say some of them, particularly Dover, have been hit very hard and as we'll touch on as we get into it. Absolutely. Well, it is the second season in a row that below step six of the English pyramid, the season has become null and void again. Yeah. It happened last season in March when COVID first struck and it's happened again this year. And this has provided financial nightmares for many, many clubs. I mean, it's forced many clubs to go bankrupt. For example, one example that I can think of is a, a, um, is a club quite local to where we're studying, Macclesfield Town. I mean... Mm-hmm. There was a lot more to that story, but I think COVID was the nail in the coffin for them. Yeah. They had financial issues. They've gone bust. They had to drop. They dropped out the football league, and now they've sub- subsequently dropped the title of Macclesfield Town because the club's just gone to bust. But they have reformed as Macclesfield FC. But 
like all clubs, if you fold, you have to start from the very bottom, which is the case for Macclesfield and Bury, And football in the north in particular, non-league football in the north, has taken yeah. a big hit. But there's, there's no questioning that the biggest story at the moment is what's going in the south of the country, um, particularly Dover. I mean, John, you're quite big on your non-league football. Yeah, um, I'll let you um, help. I'll let you summarise it a bit. Well, steps steps one and two: the National League and North and South League, Valenrama National North and South. They're still trying to go ahead because they've had at the start of the season their grants, but it's turned out as Jim Parment at the Dover Athletic Chairman said on the radio yesterday that them grants weren't exactly grants but loans. Hence the reason they're in the trouble that they're in because they weren't in the financial position to take the loan out because they had no money to pay it back. Mm. Like, you know, and they feel like that the National League have uh, lied to them. They've lost all integrity. I mean, like you said, Ben, uh, steps three to six, they got curtailed on the 24th of February. Every league got called off. Um, I'm currently doing a documentary on that for my final year project um, in my first year. But, I mean, the National League, because they've had this money pumped into them by the government, by the FA, they feel like they have to continue. But then again, the clubs haven't been getting, in my view, the right treatment or the right guidance or the right help. Yeah. If you go by what Dover Athletics chairman have said, They've lost all integrity and there is going to be a vote of no confidence in the board of the National League because they're chucking in like um, they're allowing people to uh, do a few things that ain't uh, uh, against some of the rules in the National League, like in the rule book. And um, even a few teams have had to look at the rule book to with these charges, because it's not just Dover that's affected this, has it been? Yeah, so as you mentioned, John, um, I wrote a few brief notes before we came on to this episode. Basically, it's not just Dover that have been handing out fines. There's also 16 other clubs, as well as Dover, who have been handed out fines for failing to fulfil fixtures, which was one of the rules that, one of the unknown rules, in, in a sense, that many National League clubs didn't know of that they were finding people for not fulfilling fixtures. Dover had to pull out of the National League, um, as did Macclesfield Town, which means that that division has now only got 22 sides in it, um, other than the normal 24. Mm-hmm. And Dover, as a result, are considering taking legal... Well, I say considering, they are taking legal they action. They will against, take legal action, yes. Against the National League and the government. Because um, the, with the board, they've, uh, they've been turning a blind eye to a few of the rules that are being thingy like uh, the Dover chairman turned around and said like you, you're furloughing players but then you're signing uh, you're, you're signing youngsters for lesser money and fielding weakened sides which yeah, is against is, the rules this was also prominent in another National League club Chesterfield who have had former football league experience they yep. furloughed a lot of their first team players but are signing new players to come through and playing instead of those furloughed players which yeah. makes completely no sense whatsoever. Another um, situation is which is close to where I live back home, Maystone United. They've in uh, they furloughed their entire first team. Absolutely, you know it's just ridiculous because I've been to Dover Athletic. It's a nice little stadium, and I've been to um, 
Maidstone United's Gallagher Stadium. I played there in a charity game. It's a, it's a very nice pitch. Um, well, it would be. It's 3G. But um, mm. it's, it's a shame to see these clubs in this situation. Like you said, 16 other teams have been fined, but they haven't been fined as much as Dover. Everyone else has been fined £2,000 and given a two-point deduction, whereas Dover have been given a £40,000 fine and given a 12-point deduction for the 2021-22 season. Yeah. yeah, let me just read the list out of the 17 clubs that have been fined and the amounts that they've been fined. So Dover Athletic, as you said, £40,000 fine and a 12-point deduction for next season because, well, they'll be in the National League South because they will have to be relegated, Yeah, more than likely. Um, um, they're in the National League South already. Are they? I thought they were National I League. I believe. I don't know. But no, they apparently, the... there, apparently there's going to be no relegation. I've heard there's going to be no relegation because of this season being stopped. I mean, Dover, we'll have have got the, Dover have got the maximum fine of £40,000. But the next highest after that is £8,000, which is a big jump down. And yeah. there's three times, three sides, all National League South. No, yes, Dulwich they're Hamlet. in the National League. I was thinking of Maidstone United. I apologise. Dulwich Hamlet, Town. And Chippenham all been fined eight thousand pounds. Then we go back up north for three sides that have been found six thousand pounds. Bradford Park Avenue, Blythe Spartans, and Farsley Celtic all been fined six thousand pounds. Bath City have been fined four thousand. Southport, Concord Rangers, Darlington, and Gateshead have all been fined two thousand pounds. And then Kettering Town, the amount that they've been fined is unknown, and that is a lot of money in fines which is nowhere near the club's fault at all because no. they're having to furlough players. Non-league football is driven by supporters being in the ground and, well, sponsorship money from sponsorships that they can get. And it's not good to see. And I think the government have got, to, well, as you may be aware, we've slagged off the government quite a lot on this podcast. But this is a different side of the story because it's, it was more handling of COVID for this this needs to be dealt with by the Department of Culture because it's a big, thorny issue and one that's not going to go away anytime soon. So the big well, problem is as well, is the fact that obviously there's a lot, you said, there's a very sizable amount going out in fines, but the reason they obviously couldn't fulfil their fixtures is because they're struggling for money. So they've had to take this. So they've now been given fines that they are going to really struggle to pay, which is actually just going to make the problem worse. Well, it's not the state it's, of the club. it's not even that, Ben. It's like Dover's Dover's chairman said that, yeah, they were going to take the grant, but then looking in deeper into it, it turned out it was going to be a loan. So mm. then that, that's that's been a lie because they say the, the, the Premier League, the, uh, the FA, the government said, oh, yeah, we're, 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 we're giving grants out. We're giving grants to these clubs to survive. But that's not been the case. Apparently, according to Jim Parmenter, the Dover Athletic Chairman, it's been a loan. So, I mean, this pains me because the millions and millions and millions that gets pumped into the Premier League, pumped into the Premier League, right? That's all the FA care about. And yes, I'm yep. calling you out, Football Association. That's all you care about, right? These other clubs, they make up the English football pyramid, the league system, right? Why are you doing this? Everything... You know, it should trickle down the money throughout the leagues, throughout the throughout the EFL, and then to non-league as well. There's enough money in football to do mm. that to keep these clubs going. Absolutely, yeah. There was a lot of, um, especially during the first lockdown, uh, just before Project Restart, there was a lot of backing for Premier League clubs to help support mm. EFL clubs and non-league clubs financially. 
and it just shows how selfish the Premier League are. It is self as well. Premier League, and it even goes as far as Championship as well, um, because there's some big financial clubs in the Championship, most notably the likes of Middlesbrough, Norwich, those sort of teams. But they need to support the local sides. And I mean, this, before the, Christmas, we went to Handley Town and we had a good night there. I know it absolutely. was, uh, I know, I know it was below Valorama National League, but it was football and it was at a reasonable price and we had good I urge everyone to go to their local non-league football team and help them out buy tickets buy merch buy shirts you know these clubs need the, all the help they can get they do, they do absolutely do um, there has been some mixed views though from the fallout of the National League system because quite a lot of the clubs are actually against the idea of Dover and Many of them aren't actually supporting Dover in this case, but I know for a fact that one club is Kings Lynn's chairman. I'm not quite sure on his name, but he has openly said that he backs what is going on at Dover and he thinks they shouldn't be punished at all. Whereas many other chairmen in the league think they should be punished because they've signed up to rules and they aren't sticking to them. I mean, there's always two sides to the story, but I think you've yeah, just got to you've just got to use common sense in these sort of situations. If 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 they are going with a vote of no confidence, then like um, what the Dover Athletic chairman said on BBC Radio Kent yesterday, uh, Friday, was it Friday or yesterday? Yesterday, um, the National League board have lost all integrity. Like. The way that they're going about this, the way that they're turning a blind eye to some rules, but then hammering down on others, it's there's no there's no no level playing mm. field. You know that's why the uh, the potential voting no confidence is there, and it's not just over doing it. Multiple clubs are going to vote for this. Mm, it's just yeah. a really like you said, Ben. It's a messy situation. It is, it is. Which could have been avoided. It could have easily been avoided. Well, we'll have to see what happens with the vote of no confidence. Obviously, people listening to this might know already because the people are going to meet, the members are going to meet tomorrow or or today as the podcast goes out to see, to try and get support behind, uh, get an emergency meeting of the board to then put forward their vote of the vote of no confidence. If they get enough supporters, obviously that might or what the results of that might already be announced to people listening to this but obviously but we don't know that yet but i'd be surprised if the vote of no confidence doesn't go ahead i feel like they're probably going to i think it'll be easy to get enough drum up enough support to get this vote together and i think quite rightly because like you john like you said john something needs to be done it's really it's been whole situation's been handled poorly by the fa and all the other authorities obviously They've had that they did get they've had some sort of funding coming. They got 10 million from the national lottery non-league clubs, but that ran out in December, and then they've just not really been given any sort of substitute from anywhere since December. Well, let's look at the bigger picture, okay? This is this is what we're focusing on the National League, but there it steps three to six below the Venerama National League. There is an array of leagues and so many clubs that are in the same situation as everyone in the National League, but they're just not getting any attention because the season's finished. Mm. You know, there's still clubs and players that have to be paid. There's still like facilities that have to be run and maintained. Like, you know, it just needs something needs to happen and something needs to give. And like what uh, with no vote of no confidence, I've read in an article here from the non-league football paper, and it states National League general manager Mark Ives, we've had to go to the rule book over the charges. They don't even know themselves. 
Right, it says it all, really. Yeah, I think the lowdown from what I can take from this is there needs to be a lot, a bigger inquiry into this higher up. Um, for example, mm. well, I'm just looking here on my screen right now. Um, it needs to be dealt with by arguably the the highest figure possible for the Department for Culture, Media and Sport, which is mm-hmm. Oliver Dowden. And he needs to sort this issue out, either take it to Boris Johnson, ask for more funding, ask Rishi Not Sunak, loans. <laughs> ask, Rishi, ask Rishi Sunak as Chancellor of the Exchequer to provide more funding for non-league football, because I don't think it was mentioned in the budget that was recently came out. I don't. But there was a bit for grassroots football, but no, nothing necessarily for non-league clubs, for example. But my, the, the pressing issue for me is I feel more sorry for the clubs that have to ground share with certain clubs because they're having to pay rent on that facility, which they cannot afford. And like you said, they're having to take out government loans, which will eventually have to be paid back and they can't afford to pay it back at this moment in time. Well, yeah, that's the thing. It wasn't, well, as Dover Reflects, Shama said, it, they, they, were, they were promised, they were, uh, promised grants that turned out to be actual loans. So if that is true, that's that's a tragedy from like the higher up sources like the Football Association, the government, because like the whole point of this is to help these teams that haven't got any money that or, or their their owners are running out of money because they're pumping so much into the teams. So for to, de- to then for giving them a loan for a short term solution, a short term proper uh, solution for a long-term problem is ridiculous because they still have to pay back plus interest. The issue that gets me most is we see the Premier League footballers such as Sterling, Bruno Fernandes, Kevin De Bruyne, that are practically earning a hundred, a million pound, a million pound a week, for example. And then you see the likes of non-league players who are struggling to pay their families because they're furloughed from their jobs, their everyday jobs, because the majority, well, in fact, pretty much all of non-league clubs are part-time. And yeah, below step yeah. below step two, they they're they're all they they have other ways of income. They have exactly. like full-time jobs as well as you know, training three or four three times a week, games on a Saturday, games on a Wednesday night if need be. Yeah. You know. It's 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 morally wrong that you've got players in the Premier League earning close to a million pounds a week and then you've got these young upcoming talents and those players who play for the fun of it in the way but also play for some financial backing and they can't feed, can't afford to feed their families at the best of times no it's it's I mean, morally wrong and ethically it's poor from the government if every team in the premier league and the championship set up a funding pot and put every team put 1.5 million in from the Championship and the Premier League, that would do a world of good to these teams below the uh, EFL League Two. Yeah, it would because yeah. that's six million quid. It's almost it's about seventy million quid that that fund if every because yeah, it's the four teams putting one and a half million each. It's it roughly it works out roughly about seven seventy million pounds. Yeah, which but it wouldn't is, make a dent into these teams' finances. Absolutely that's the not. Thing. Absolutely not. They you and, know it's like loose change for them. Exactly. You've got people like Sheikh Mansour in charge of Manchester City, Abu Dhabi Prince pumped £22 billion into Manchester City. 
why can't they support their non-league clubs in that area, such as Stockport or, I don't know, Droylsden or Curzon Ashton, who are one of the sides who are having big trouble? Exactly. Why? Why can't why can't Sheikh Mansour help the no, non-league clubs? A, I think that's an interesting point there. I think that is kind of part... We just, when we, a couple of weeks ago, we were speaking about Chris Wilder and we were saying how the foreign ownership in the top level of the Premier League can often clash with a like the passionate English managers. And I think it's kind of that response here. There's not really enough like, sort of Eng- like English owners in the league now. You think, you say, why can't Sheikh Mansour? But you, you see from his point of view, if he's from, he's in it for the money, isn't he? He's running Man City as a business. He doesn't really care. He, but you think, had they got proper English fan, like proper English owner, somebody, you know, just owns the club because he loves the club, like back with sort, sort of men like Elton John and Watford, you know, and you've got a fan of the club running the club, you have that sort of thing, then maybe there would be more support because they know how they know how big non-league football is to people in the area. Whereas a lot of the owners now don't even live in England. They they just they sit back and run the club silently from their their massive penthouse in Dubai or somewhere. So let's just get this straight. There's only let me I'm just checking here and Brighton are fully owned by a British entrepreneur. And they do a lot of work in their community with clubs, fair enough. Newcastle is solely British owned, but we'll gloss over that because Mike Ashley's a knobhead. Um, Stoke City, they're owned Stoke, by 365. Absolutely Stoke. Um, although the ownership there has had its troubles here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, Spurs have got full British ownership. Daniel Levy. Yep. Daniel Levy and Joe yeah. Lewis. Um, we've got West Ham as well, Sullivan and Gold. Mm. Um, but then again, they've had some American backing as well. Yeah. But it, there's only... that. Uh, Three Premier League clubs have got full out British ownership, yeah. and well, I think the more, the it's more where, the that's where football's gone. Money, yeah. that's all it is. I think that's more of the point. I said, not that it doesn't necessarily have to be English owner, it just makes more sense from the non league perspective. But I think that's the this is kind of this is kind of shown now there's not enough football fans running football clubs. It's, it is, it has gone like it's one of the things I've been doing loads of research into it the last week or so to write an essay on it. But you go back to the 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s, the owners of clubs were fans of the club. They bought, they, they bought into the clubs they were a fan of because they wanted to help them. Whereas now it's people who want it as a, who want it as a business. I've been looking a lot into the history of Ipswich town recently. Cause I mean, I'm from Ipswich, it's a local club to me. And the owners, the owners throughout the glory years they had in the seventies and eighties were, they were the people who owned the breweries nearby. They bought into the club because they love the club. They've been fans and they saw it going, oh, there's a chance to buy in. Whereas now you've got Marcus Evans there who no, he didn't even show his face for the first five years or so of owning the club. He just sat in his own, he just sat in his office putting the old bit of money in there. This is why I'm brief for Burnley, because Burnley is a working class town. It, mm. Most of its supporters are working class people. And the club was has always had the reputation of having British ownership. I mean for many years, we've been the lowest, well, in terms of ownership, owner's net worth, our former owner, Mike Garlick, has had by far the lowest of any. I mean, he's probably on the net worth of some League Two owners, for goodness sake. I mean, this is why I worry for Burnley, because I feel the stature of the club may well change. I'm not, I'm nothing against the new chairman, because he seems, from early impressions, like a reasonable bloke, and he wants the best for the club, but Deep down, I do worry behind the scenes that the ethics and the morals of the club are going to evaporate because I know for the fact the club do a lot 
in the community and do a lot for other other sides. And I'm worried that that will go in the future. Exactly. Yeah. So you go back to the point that I said before. I think there's not enough football fans owning football club, and that's the point. AFC, I think Wim- AFC Wimbledon own own their club. Fans own their exactly. club. Exactly. It doesn't even necessarily have to be fans in general. Just people. There needs to be people who. The people who have a proper interest in football and the buy clubs because because they love the game and they want to support the club, not because they see it as an opportunity to make profit. And I think if more owners had those motives, then then non-league clubs would be received far more funding. Yeah, I, I mean, the clubs town, would be a lot more open to take the championship. They own the exactly. club. Yeah, I mean, with uh, yeah. AFC Wimbledon when they first started. Um, I was signed to their youth team at, right, right at the beginning of their story, like a hundred years ago. Um, and they had to uh, share with Kingstonian yeah. uh, FC. Yeah. And then they uh, they had an initiative where they uh, they were collecting bottle lids, you know, like off of Coke bottles. Hmm. And every, every Coke, every lid was a pound. And that's how they bought the stadium. Um, and then obviously now they're, they're back at Plough Lane, which I'm buzzing for because that's where they that's their home. Mm. But yeah, they're completely um, fan owned, and they always have been. Yeah. And that's a credit to them. Like they, they've 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 moved away. They broke away from AFC Wimbledon, like uh, Wimbledon FC, when they went to Milton Keynes. And you know they they've just come on leaps and bounds through the non-league pyramid. That's the thing. They were in the non-league pyramid. They had to start yeah. from scratch. And now what? They're in League One. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, yeah. I mean, it's they are struggling, story. but they're near yeah, the bottom. They, they've they? they've been an EFL they've, club they've for years. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They've made it back I'm to. Saying, I think exactly. That's the kind of thing you see more of, uh, as we want to see more of. And I think that's part of the problem here. Like I said, I think generally believe that they see something the Premier League deals. I think the reason why the Premier League have been very reluctant to send money lower down is because when you speak to the owners about it they're, they're saying it's basically like saying to them well by the way it's like asking to the owners to say look here's, you see your business there that's making loads of profit why don't you take some out and give it to these people you don't care about whereas if you might say that whereas if you said like I say I don't want to like have a dig at just foreign owners in general because many English owners have the same attitudes but he had a proper, say, somebody who's engrossed in the game, absolute love for it, and owns the club for that reason, not because of money. Then you think if you say to them, then they'll understand the situation, how important non-league is to the community in England, well, and obviously into the UK as a whole, but mainly into England. And I think that's probably part of the issue here, why the bigger clubs aren't paying out, and so especially in the Premier League's case, because it was all businessmen who don't really care. To be fair, I don't have a problem with foreign owners. Like, mm. and to be fair, to an extent, the league has needed it because yeah. without foreign owners, Liverpool wouldn't have won the league. Man yeah. City That's wouldn't have won the league. Chelsea wouldn't have won the league. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, There's definitely you know, advantages to it, but I think in this situation, this is where you can see big disadvantages on it because you can see the effect of the Premier League is now such a jump away from the lower leagues. And before they would have been so much closer, but... As business, fair, as, it, as, I mean, as business has taken priority from football and in recent years and the divide between lower leagues and the Premier League has grown and has led to situations like this where they're just blatantly refusing to help. To be fair, the, you could you could call the championship as well. That's a that's a that's a million miles away from League One. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Which is why you see clubs like Wickham struggling yeah, so much in the championship. Wickham are struggling so Rotherham. bad this year. Rotherham are another example. 
yeah. it's clubs like that that need more help and it shows the bridge between all the leagues and more needs to be done. More needs to be that done. Is, that is because of the Premier League, because of the, the, the TV rights and the, the, the amount of money that is pumped into these clubs through TV rights and everything else. And then mm. they get relegated to the championship. You know, th- th- their budget is going to be significantly more than teams that are in that, that league from the previous season. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I know for a fact that when Premier League clubs do get relegated from the Premier League into the championship, it's a disaster for them financially. Because they, because the the financial fair play regulations are different between the Premier League and the Championship, and many Premier League clubs are working off the Premier League's financial play, fair play, which means that they are now struggling in the Championship, which forces many of them, as is the case for many Premier League clubs such as Blackburn, Bolton, Sunderland, all those. Bolton, pop, are, Bolton pop, are on a tear though. They are on the way back up, and yeah. a lot of these clubs have had to rebuild for. Apart from financial. Norwich and Watford, they're doing extremely well this season. Exactly. Mm. It's financial. It's most of the issues in football. Let's just hold this one here. I'll I'll put the new link in the Discord for the new one. Oh, that's calm. Yeah. This is a very productive one. I like this one. Yeah, there's still a bit more I want to go on about. Um, yeah, go a bit for more, it, man. A bit more on the vote of no confidence and a bit yeah. on how Brexit's going to impact non-league football. Oh, we've got Rob for this. That's brilliant. It's calm. <laughs> right, new links in the Discord. All right. Below that, because I know for a fact that hashtag United's manager, well, I say manager, Spencer Owen, um, well, he's not, he is not happy with how non-leagues run. And mm. Spencer is, he lives and breathes football and he knows his stuff and he knows how poorly it's run. And most of the stuff he says is 100% true. And the non the national league system is weakened i mean it's it's just gone downhill 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 and it's going mm. to going to come to a point soon where i think it's going to collapse at some point and it'll have to be reformed that's a shame if that happens but it looks highly likely i mean um, i'm just looking at the the bbc sport post on this matter of 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 clubs consider to vote in no confidence against the board and it says here 66 the 66 clubs in the in the Vanarama National League, North and South, feel like they were given incorrect information on future funding, which says it all, doesn't it? Like it, it, that just backs up what the Dover chairman was saying, to be yeah. fair. Which is a sad, sad, sad situation. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think we're pretty certain that the 17 clubs that I mentioned earlier on in the episode, they were filing a vote of no confidence. And they'll all be taking legal action. Yep, absolutely. I'm not going to read them again. But fast forward back to the, um, rewind back to the start of the episode. If you want to hear those 17 clubs um, that have faced financial trouble and have been fined for failing to fulfil fixtures. But in terms of the National League system, it's many clubs have expressed, I quote, shock, dismay and disgust at the way that an independent panel has forced clubs to be fined and the manner in which they have done so and ethically it's wrong morally it's wrong because many of these clubs are part-time and they can't afford to pay their staff and players and are very heavily driven by supporters income and for obvious reasons as we are aware there ain't been no supporters which yeah. is a real real shame for non-league football because it is 
the heart and soul of the English pyramid. Hmm. Well, in, in the space of in the space of a couple of days, back in February, uh, I think it was it was first Maystone United that said that they were furloughing their entire first team, and then uh, two days later, Dover Athletic said that we're running out of money. Like, you know, what could we do? Like, they actually publicly said that like they they they're in serious ish. Um, but yeah, this this needs to change. Something needs it does, to happen. It does yeah. need to change. And would the thing that needs to be changed, would it be the structure of the board for the National League? Will it have to change? Because the league... Oh, 100%. System, the league system itself works well, and it works really well with the two teams, the, the one automatic team going up to League Two and then the playoff mm. game to go into League Two. That's yeah. financially really important for non-league clubs. And then the you've way got... the, the the way the league is is absolutely fine. Yeah, the way it's the, just the people it's structured, who run it. It's the people that run it that, yeah. that are letting letting this situation like letting it down. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head a, there. It's yeah. going to come to a point soon where we're going to lose even more teams. I yes. mean, yes, like I said earlier, we've lost Macclesfield, we lost Berry. I mean, that wasn't yeah. exactly COVID related, but again, Berry of history lots of history won the FA Cup back in the 1900s I mean losing a big club like that it's going to hurt big time and especially to these communities this is what I've, I've oh absolutely I've, I've, I've written small, my small country towns and stuff yeah I've I mean written my for example script. you in Sheppey Sheppey yeah. is probably one of the big things that brings that island together really yeah it gets a good uh, 150 200 people in um, I've obviously written my script for my documentary but I've said in it like some of these clubs are the heartbeats of their communities. Like, you know, like what you said, it brings people together. And for, for, to, to, lo- to lose that, like, it's it's like taking, like, a missing piece of the jigsaw. Like, you yeah. know, it's just... Yeah, a, lot of the, a lot of the clubs as well, you know, you say they'll be the heartbeat of the community, but there won't be any big teams or nearby or like other or EFL or Premier League clubs nearby you'd have to, if you, for people to want to do you want to spend your Saturday off and then you want to go watch football. A lot of them would have to travel 15, 20 miles at the, at the closest to go to the EFL club or a higher, um, higher club. So if, you, if they lose their non-league club, then they lose their access to football effectively or live football effectively. I mean, the way I see it in terms of how the National League is run is they have no leadership skills whatsoever. They are in it for the financial gain. That's what. That's the impression I get. Because they're finding all these clubs to get more money going into the into the system, and they don't have any leadership qualities whatsoever. And that's the way that it comes across to me as a casual. Well, I, I don't have. There is no really any non-league clubs in Leicestershire. I mean, there's two from the best of my knowledge, and it's it's interesting to say the least. And I think. Then maybe... I mean, I, I have a few in Kent. I've got Dover, obviously Sheppey, uh, Faversham Town, Ramsgate, Margate, Herne Bay, Whitstable, um, Mesa United, Elsleet United, Bromley. Like, it's it's really... So I can, if I wanted to go and watch a team, I can. You know, and they also have Gillingham in, in League One. But, I mean, it's just... My worry is what happens to the teams below the Vanarama National League, North and South? What See, about where, them? That's what Leicestershire has. We don't have any teams in National League, yeah. North or South. We've got Colville and a team called Heather, 
which is just outside Colville, who are both, I think, t- one's one step below the National League North and one's below the other team in a, one of yeah. the regional leagues. So they're steps three and four. I think they are something yeah, along those lines. I mean, I'm not familiar with non-league football much no. at all from being a supporter of a Premier League club like most of us are in society these days. Yeah. Um, right <laughs> but we need to have more attention on non-league football because we do. the quality is good, really good. And most players start off at non-league and build their way up to being stars. I mean, the prime example is Jamie Vardy. Jamie I mean, Vardy. He started out mm-hmm. at Oxbridge Park Steels in a small town just outside Sheffield. Went, went to, to Halifax, Halifax. Then went to Fleetwood. And yep. he ended up being one of the stars of the Premier League. I think, he's the, highest, I think he's the highest uh, grossing transfer fee for a non-league club at the time. A million pound Leicester bought him for. Yeah. And the amount of goals he scored for them, what an investment. And he's still doing it now at the age of 34. Mm. I mean, yeah. that's something that's really, really special. But the thing is, you've got I, the other others like uh, Ollie Watkins. He yeah. went, obviously, it wasn't it wasn't in non-league, but he came from yes, non-league. Yes, he was. He, was. S- he started a Western Supermare. Yeah, no, he was on Exeter. Yeah. And then... Uh, Ivan Brentford, Tony as well, Villa. I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Another one who's actually having a, an amazing season at Brentford. Absolutely. I could see him playing Premier League football if Brentford didn't get into the Premier League. Yeah, but I'd like to see Brentford out. in the Premier League because that's a community club. Yeah, mm. I've been to Brentford. I went there for the playoffs against uh, when they were against Jules, and their old stadium, Griffin Park, was a sight to behold. A, a pub on every corner of the ground. It was brilliant. But then, obviously, now they've moved into their new stadium and they've got no fans. It's shocking. I know. I know. Mm. But I want to. I want to get into the. Let's let's dive away from the shambolic. Uh, leadership of the National League system. I want to get into how Brexit's going to affect non-league. I mean, you'd expect it to not have that much of an impact, really. But it's going to in- it's going to mean that more clubs are going to be promoting new talents, and the Premier League clubs and the EFL clubs are going to be looking more to non-league for their young talent because due to work permits and stuff, they're not going to be able to get people from the EU and Brazil, for example. They're going to have to promote from within the National League system, mm-hmm. which is mm. good for non-league football because we want to see more people like Jamie Vardy, Ivan Tony, Ollie Watkins coming through the non-league system and we want to see the next best stars. Well, it's, it's the, 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 the right time to put it is hidden gems. Absolutely. I think that yeah. sums it up perfectly. We want to find those new hidden gems and, that, well, it just takes a good scout to find a future star, like the case of Vardy, for example, who is the most notable, having come through the from step eight. I mean, well, I say step eight, it's when step eight is in the normal football league hierarchy. Yeah, they are yeah. step eight in Stocksbridge goes to the National League with Halifax. He was playing non-league with Fleetwood before he moved to Leicester. I mean, Leicester's mm. from Fleetwood when they were a non-league club. Mm. I mean, that's confidence if ever there was any. I mean, I think Leicester are one of the, are arguably yeah. the best Premier League club for scouting, arguably. That was mm. back when it was the Blue Square Premier. <laughs> yeah. I mean... A long had, time ago. It's it Sponsorship's a big issue in the non-league because National League has had many different... Um, 
sponsor, leading sponsors. I mean, as you said, Blue Square Premier. Um, I can't think. I know there's van. They're sponsored by Vanarama currently. Yeah. But yeah. there was. I think there was one before the van between Blue Square and Vanarama. I can't quite think of who it was. Um. Well, if it comes to me, I'll express my thoughts. But the big problem for football is money and it's going to have to help non-league football a lot more at a government level, at a leadership level, but also the governing body for the National League system because... The governing body of English football, the FA needs to help as well. FA needs to step in. Yeah, National League have to step in, the government have to step in to save non-league football because we are losing far too many good talents in the non-league system. And someone needs to put it through the government brains to help fund non-league football because they need increased funding, much more increased funding to keep non-league football alive, keep the heart and soul of English football alive. Yeah, I mean, with, with my documentary, I'm, I'm trying to raise awareness about these clubs below the Vanarama National League, step one and two, and trying to raise awareness about their how they've been coping during the pandemic and how they've been struggling you know, financially, you know, with with um, no fans. I mean, there there was a case when the third lockdown started. Well, when the lockdown started before in December, um, uh, Sheffield United had to play a game, and the only way that they could, uh, like, the game was being streamed back to the island because it was an FA Vars game away. Um, but they were there was an also a a, a thing where they had virtual pints and virtual pies. I don't know if I've mentioned this previously, but they had virtual pints and virtual pies where, like, just at a game, if you was actually there, you could buy a pint, buy a pie, as you normally do. But the, the, that was another way of generating revenue for the club, which mm-hmm. was a genius way, you know. But it all helps, but I don't know. It's just a lot, with, clubs with, have, um, a lot of clubs have done online programmes as well as another way of getting it in. They're just... Yeah. They basically produce the match day program as they would have done normally, but as you can a PDF buy it online. Yeah. yeah, you do it as a PDF, or some clubs will then send you a copy of it instead, and they'll sign send it out to you. That's that's been another way because obviously a lot of people like their match day programs. Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah, there's to, loads of collectors. Yeah, yeah, I think there that's one of the, been one of the main things people have been trying to do. Obviously, you get obviously you can stream the game as you were saying, and then you can also then have your program with you for half time or whatever. You can then get open your PDF and read through the program like you when you're at the game, you might read it at half time. And that's been, I think that's been quite key to a lot of clubs. And also just completely going, also, going back uh, to a different point of, it was Skrill, the other sponsor. Oh uh, yeah, Skrill. Yeah, well done. Mm. Uh, yeah, but there's also uh, things where you can buy physical copies of programmes during this uh, season with no fans. Clubs have, have uh, been doing, like there's a website where you can buy from multiple range of clubs from League One, Championship, League Two, um, get a physical copy of the match day program so that you can have it in your binders, like so you can keep going with collecting purposes, which I think is a really good touch as well. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but as as we've said many a time, football is the answer to foot. Well, I say money is the answer to football in most circumstances and it takes the love out of the game money it's a shame to what i stated last week cash is king it is 
it's a shame. But hey, we want to get more non-league football portrayed well because the standard is good and it's just the people running it are not good. That's the lowdown, really. Mm. Um, yeah, you get hope... some you get some decent players in, uh, filling, filing out in their in their later years of their careers into non-league. I yep. mean, my my local team, Sheffield United, they got former AFC Wimbledon and Oxford United player Jack Mitson playing for them. You know, so hmm. you find some like half decent people, like Danny Kedwell's playing for Hollandon Blairs. He used to play for AFC Wimbledon and Gillingham. Yeah, so you get a lot of even like quite higher level, high level of players like former Premier League will go and have a couple of years in non-league before they retire. Jamie uh, O'Hara like... was a key one for me playing mm. at Billericay. Same with Paul Kuchesky yeah. going to Billericay. Yeah, they are the two I can name. I know even like going back a bit further, Keith Gillespie went to and was somewhere in non-league for the last three or four years of his career as well. Yeah, and you've had I'm... even obviously not exactly an, not an English player, but you've seen Edgar Davids as player manager at Barnet. Oh yeah, he got like he got like three red cards in five games. <laughs> yeah, see, people like non like a lot of, a lot of English players know obviously how big non league is. So they rather than if they when they get to that point where they feel like I haven't got many I haven't got many years left in me or I can't compete at this level, whether that's Championship or Premier League anymore, rather than retire, they they choose to drop down and play for their local non league side for a couple of years. Absolutely, and I think you should yeah. do it well there. Jonathan Gearing, is it Jonathan Gearing who's played for West Brom? Jonathan yeah, Greening. That's the one. Yeah, he's been there. Yep. He, he's been there. He, he, um, also, with uh, when we went to Hanley Town, Ricardo Fuller. Yeah, there's, there's loads of examples you can go with of former Premier League players. And I think that's the, that's the key. These English players who have played at the top level know how important non league They'd love to have a love for non league because they know how, how big it is in communities. So they choose to play non league instead of retiring. Absolutely. And I think you summed it up well there. The love for non-league football is there and every football fan needs to love non-league. Yes, the Premier League's good and the standards are good and all is good in that, signing high players for hundreds of millions of pounds and stuff. But you cannot forget where football's come from and the roots behind it because they are strong. The people who run it are not strong. But the non-league community yeah. is strong. The love, of the, the love of the game is strong, yes. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And I think that is a good way to end this week's episode. Um, stay tuned in the future for exciting things coming from the podcast. Um, we look forward to seeing you again next week for episode 18, where I think we'll be previewing some golf that's going to be occurring. Most notably, the biggest golf tournament in the world. Well, I say in the world, but... The Masters, obviously, occurring next weekend. It's one of the most prestigious ones in the world. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, And also, we may well feature some other fun topics as well, because we've got some good things lined up. But for now, go and follow our social accounts. You'll hear all the lowdown on there of future episodes and future news. And subscribe on YouTube and follow us on Spotify. That's all I ask. And for now, it's a goodbye from all of us here. Goodbye. Goodbye. Good night.